Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. Welcome back, Coast favorite Dr. Michael Sala back with us, a pioneer in the development of exopolitics. He's the author of Exposing U.S. Government Policies on Extraterrestrial Life and Exopolitics. A couple of his other books include Kennedy's Last Stand, U.S. Air Force Space Secret Space Program, Shifting ET Alliance and Space Force. It's an amazing story all by together. Dr. Sala was an assistant professor and researcher in residence in the School of International Service at the American University until 2004. He's got a Ph.D. in government from the University of Queensland in Australia and also the founder of the Exopolitics Institute. Michael, welcome back, my friend. How are you? I'm well, George. I'm really uh, really excited by this new book coming out and uh, looking forward to catching up again soon at the Contact in the Desert. Oh, great. I'm looking forward to seeing you. I just had Michael Tellinger on. He's going to be out there, too, so we'll all be out there. Oh, that'll be fun. And we're going to celebrate my birthday a little bit later on that day and the weekend. Perfect. So we'll do that. So tell me more about the secret space program. In your opinion, what is it exactly? Well, the Air Force has been secretly studying retrieved extraterrestrial craft from the 1940s. Most people, many people have heard of the Roswell crash. Yep. Um, there are other crashes that happened before that that are not as well known. Uh, one in particular that happened in Los Angeles in 1942, I think, was very important because that time in 1942 just after the US entered into the Second World War um, the major aviation companies were all located in Los Angeles so they all saw that Los Angeles air raid incident and that UFO and even though you know their priority was obviously in building uh, bombers and uh, fighter craft for the uh, Army Air Force for the war effort there was nevertheless a secret effort to understand where these technologies came from, who the pilots were, and whether extraterrestrial life was visiting us. And uh, that was something that uh, some of the uh, most senior Air Force leaders of the time, in particular General Hap Arnold, who was a five-star uh, general, uh, actually the only five-star general to have served with both the U.S. Army and the uh, U.S. Air Force. He goes back so far, Michael, he was trained in flying by the Wright brothers. Well, that's right. He was a <laughs> test pilot for the, for the Wright brothers you know, back in uh, the early 19, um, uh, 1910 or something like way that. Back, way back. So he was a pioneer, and uh, the interesting thing is that he was a pioneer in, in the innovation of air, aircraft and he was also the person who laid the foundations for the Air Force to enter into a new era, which was to learn as much as it could about these craft that were being retrieved from all over the place and to reverse engineer them as far as possible. And so uh, Arnold set the process uh, in place. Uh, he was working with major aviation companies such as the uh, Douglas Aircraft Company, and uh, Donald Douglas, the head, the person who started up the Douglas Aircraft Company, his daughter was married to Hap Arnold's son. So they were very close. And um, what happened was Douglas set up within the Douglas Aircraft Company a top-secret think tank to study some of these retrieved craft. And in 1945, uh, that was funded uh, by Arnold um, using surplus ar army funds, 
to the tune of about $10 million at the time, which uh, today translates to you know, well over $100 million or, or several hundred million. So it was an enormous amount of money. And uh, this, this was all to study exactly what was behind the UFO phenomenon and to study uh, retrieved extraterrestrial craft. So this was something that the Army Air Force was pursuing during the Second World War, um, along with companies like the Douglas Aircraft Company. And uh, this, this was eventually led to the creation of the RAND Corporation. So first you have in 1945 the creation of the RAND project, mm -hmm. and in 1948 you have it separating from Douglas and becoming the RAND Corporation. And that has, to this day, been really one of the key uh, institutions studying this whole extraterrestrial phenomenon and, and how uh, the Air Force should respond to it. And Hap was behind all of this, wasn't he? He was the one that got it started. Uh, he, was, he provided the funds, and he was the one that realized that this was a new era, just as uh, uh, or, or, you know, the Wright brothers ushered in a new era, and he was a part of that. He recognized this, the new era that the Air Force would have to deal with would not be the aviation industry uh, as such. It would be um, uh, these uh, spacecraft. And so that was something that he pioneered. And in fact, the, the, the very first paper uh, hypothesizing or discussing the development of, of the world's first flying saucer or the first um, orbital spacecraft was put out by the RAND project and uh, that appeared in 1946 and that was, that was the one that really got the Air Force going down this track of understanding how important space was for its future operations and to start to develop the, the craft for space deployment. And that, that was happening in the 1940s. So that was over 70 years ago. Why did they decide to keep it secret, including Roswell back in 1947? I, I think there are many reasons why they decided. I mean, there's you know, ones that many people have talked about, which is uh, you know, disclosing the truth about uh, these anti-gravity technologies using free energy uh, sources would basically gut the uh, petrochemical industry and uh, the U.S. economy would would be basically revolutionized and a lot of wealthy people stood to lose a lot of money. So that was one of the, the major reasons. But, but I think probably the most powerful uh, reason was that um, the U.S. Uh, national security apparatus had no real answer to what was going on with the flying saucer phenomenon. I mean, they, un they understood that we were being visited, that craft were, were crashing, um, that there were different extraterrestrial races involved in all of this. But to kind of like understand it all and, and to present to the, to the public all this data without knowing exactly, well, you know, are these extraterrestrials to be trusted? Are they, uh, are they foes? Are they, and, and what about the Germans? You know, the Germans set up something in Antarctica? Do we reveal that? So I, I think hmm. at the end of the day, they decided that secrecy was the best course until they could find a way to reveal all this to the general public without causing either a, a kind of a economic collapse or a societal collapse. And they're still keeping it secret. Well, they, they have tried to disclose. I mean, it's not been a, a monolithic uh, thing. I mean, the, the Air Force has been over the years 
been involved in a number of, of, of disclosure initiatives. I mean, people have talked about um, how uh, they were encouraged by the Air Force uh, to do some kind of um, disclosure uh, announcement or a film. I mean, I'm thinking of uh, uh, Robert Emenegger's film in the 1970s where he was um, basically tasked by the Air Force to put together a, a disclosure uh, video. But in the end, uh, they didn't give him the film that from their archives showing these uh, flying saucers landing um, at, uh, at Holloman Air Force Base. So the Air Force has, um, you know, in fits and bursts, tried to reveal the truth, but it's, it's always been kind of like one step forward, two steps back type thing. Uh, but now with this Space Force, I think we are getting really close now because ultimately, um, any, any sensible person is going to ask, well, why is the U.S. developing a space force if we've only got satellites up there? Well, that's true, too. Now, there was another player who came on the scene, General Curtis LeMay. Tell us about his involvement. Well, he was a very important figure because he was the guy that was very much involved in um, setting the... Uh, agenda in terms of the research and development of the retrieved Roswell craft. So he was the um, person in charge of research and development for the uh, U.S. Air Force. Or at the time, it was called the Army Air Force. It, it became the Air, renamed the Air Force mm -hmm. in September of 47. So the Roswell crash happened in, in uh, July of 47. So he, he set it all up. And, um, and over the years, he, he continued to play a key role in trying to help the Air Force get on top of these captured uh, craft. Um, he became the Air Force Chief of Staff. And there was um, an incident. Um, I know you've had David Adair on. But yes, many times. He's talked about how he was taken to... Uh, Area 51, and he was basically asked to work out the propulsion system for this huge extraterrestrial craft based on his work on a smaller propulsion system for his own rocket. And, and he said that the person that was instrumental in that was Curtis LeMay. So, you know, right, right there you have, you just, you know, even during his retirement, uh, Curtis LeMay continued to play this pioneering role or this critical role in helping the Air Force understand, you know, what the heck was behind the flying saucers, you know, what kind of propulsion system did they use, you know, how, how, how did navigation work, what was the importance of the pilot in all of that, and, and so these were sort of really critical questions, and the Air Force did make progress right up, right up until the uh, 60s and 70s in understanding these technologies and getting some of these uh, captured technologies to, to fly again. Um, Bill Uhouse uh, was a, an Air Force engineer, and he says that in the 60s, in the 50s and the 60s, that one of the captured craft from the Kingman, Arizona crash, I think that was in 1948, that that, that was in such good condition after the crash that the Air Force was able to uh, repair it and use it as a as a as a model for setting up a flight simulator for Air Force pilots to fly flying saucers. So um, this was something that he said was happening in the 50s and 60s. He was involved in that. That was Bill Uhouse. Uh, 
and and then you have uh, the remarkable testimony of uh, of, of people like uh, Brad Sorensen and Mark McClendish, who say that in the in in the nineteen eighties the Air Force had its own operational flying sources, and that they saw three of these being shown at an air show. Wow. At Edwards Air Force Base in 1988. Was it based on reversed UFO technology, Michael? Absolutely. That was exactly what what they did. They they used the principles they gained from the captured extraterrestrial craft and also what the Germans had had developed um, during the Second World War. And uh, you know, and just to give uh, the listeners an idea of exactly uh, how many craft were being studied, um, several sources say that at, at Area 51, that there were nine flying sources that were in storage there that were being studied uh, by the Air Force and by the different aircraft companies such as uh, Lockheed. Five of them were extraterrestrial in origin, and four of them were German. I was going to say, I've always heard stories that the Germans may have been even more ahead of us in this kind of area. They definitely were. Uh, They began in the 1920s studying these kinds of uh, principles. Um, Did they have a retrieved saucer? Uh, they the, the first retrieved saucer uh, was in 1933. That was in Italy. That was Modena, Italy. Uh, but the Germans actually used esoteric sources to get inf- to get information about the flying saucer phenomenon. Now, what's an esoteric saucer? Uh, an, an esoteric source like uh, like um, Maria Orsich and the Real Society. Uh, these were ladies that claimed that they were able to communicate okay. with extraterrestrials, okay. and also some of the uh, ancient texts found in places like India uh, that describe the Vimanas. So the Germans were studying all of this in the 1920s, trying to get to the bottom of it, and uh, they made tremendous progress so that by the 1940s they'd gotten so far ahead um, that they actually tried to operationalize some of these flying saucer craft. But just just as the the Messerschmitt uh, 261 jet fighter um, was was deployed towards the end of the Second World War, but it was uh, too late. I mean, the the, the Allies had kind of broken the back of the German military might, and um, and so even these advanced uh, craft that they were able to get up there, there were just too few of them to combat. You know, 1,000 bomber raids. Did they fly them over the United States? Uh, that happened later. That happened um, in the uh, soon after the Operation High Jump expedition in Antarctica, when you know, Admiral Byrd uh, led that naval expedition mm-hmm. down there. And um, you know, there, there have been lots of rumours of of a battle down there with the German flying saucers that basically uh, dealt the Navy a bloody no- a bloody nose back in um, in uh, early 1947. The war was already over. That's right, yes. Because, uh, the, At least the that Navy, part of the war. Huh? The Navy understood that the Germans had succeeded in building um, bases, underground bases, in, uh, in Antarctica. And so that was the real purpose behind uh, Operation High Jump. Uh, but what also happened was that after the, after the Navy suffered uh, casualties, and so it, it ended that mission early, um, Admiral Byrd went to Chile and gave a speech where he warned of a new enemy that could fly from pole to pole. 
um, very, very rapidly and that the U.S. had to face this. Well, only months later, only three months later, you had the Kenneth Arnold sighting in, in Washington State, and he saw nine crescent-shaped craft flying in formation, and I believe, you know, and this is what I argue in the book, and I you know, present the, the data that I, that I was able to find in support of this, that these craft were actually German craft that were deployed from Antarctica that began overflights of the U.S. Wow. And, and the goal was not to fight the U.S. The goal was to basically convince the U.S. military that the Germans had succeeded in understanding the principles behind flying saucer technologies, anti-gravity, torsion field physics, all of these advanced concepts that the Air Force knew were vital to being able to uh, fly and, and reverse engineer these craft. And the Germans were demonstrating that they had succeeded in that, and they were basically indicating that uh, we want to negotiate. We, we want to partner in, in reverse engineering these craft and building... And, and building fleets of them, and so let's make a deal. And, and I guess they wanted to do it before the Soviet Union picked up on it, right? Well, the, the Soviets were always very anxious over this possibility that the United States could enter into an alliance with the uh, German breakaway colonies in, in uh, Antarctica. That was the, the Soviets' greatest fear, because the Soviets knew that they had nothing that could match what the Germans uh, had developed down in Antarctica. And they knew that if the U.S. partnered with the Germans, that the U.S. would qualitatively move way ahead of the, German, of, of the, of the Russians. And that's exactly what happened. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.